Good morning, everyone. Seems like a year since I've seen you, so it's good to be back, and uh, good to open God's Word. And we're going to be looking at that text in Peter today. Um, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles there to 1 Peter chapter 4. And our topic today is suffering, sin, and evangelism. Suffering, sin, and evangelism. So let's uh, again ask Lord's presence to be with us. Father in heaven, bless us as we open your word. We're not able to understand it um, without your help. And certainly we're not able to apply it without your help either. So we ask that you would help us understand it and stand under it and allow you to live within our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Second Peter, First Peter should be, I put Second Peter there, but First Peter chapter 4. Now we've been in a series in Peter this past year, didn't quite finish it up, and First Peter is all about um, living in the world as aliens. To be a Christian in the world in Peter's time was to live as an alien, even though you have neighbors and whatnot. You're living differently than they are. You're living a radically different life. And you might, uh, you know, understand from that, if you're living different than everyone else on the sidewalk, if you're different than everyone else on the street, everyone else in the neighborhood, you might get uh, a dose of persecution, a dose of suffering, because your conduct may be, be different. I remember this text from Matthew chapter 24. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Didn't we used to sing that sometime? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations shall the end come. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then shall the end come. Now near this part, and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting living gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation and kindred tongue and people for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Wow, how many like that song? And it just kind of makes you happy, right? But when you preach the gospel, what happens when you faithfully preach and live as though Christ is soon to come? Well, let's look. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, our first text. We'll look up a couple texts today. Uh, how many of you actually still bring a physical Bible to church? Okay. Well, those of you, you'll fit right in here. And those that, that don't, maybe just open it up on your phone. Matthew 24, verse 9 and 10. We, we just sang verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness. But look back at verse 9 and 10. What happens when you do that? Then they will deliver you. Who is the they? Um, the they is that many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, verse 5. So Christians even will deliver you up Deliver means to hand you over to tri tribulation and kill you. So they'll deliver you up to suffering and persecution, and you'll be hated, actually slain, by all the nations for my name's sake. This idea of name is, is God's character, his authority. Because you have the character of Christ, you'll be persecuted. And then many will be offended um, and betray one another. And we'll hate one another. So at the end of time, what it's saying is, if you actually are sharing the gospel, you're going to suffer persecution. 
Well, those songs were really nice, kind of lilting along in this gospel of the kingdom. Everyone's happy. But if you're really living that way, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to be persecution. That's the point. And this happened not, of course, to Jesus, and this happened also to Paul. Look in Colossians, the book of Colossians, and we'll look at that. Um, Paul, of course, had a conversion experience, and he didn't have like a little lamb experience like our children's story. He had more of like a lightning experience. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And he was converted. And then he began to share the gospel, what had converted him. Verse 23, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And I now rejoice. He's preaching the gospel. He's telling everyone to all the nations again. I rejoice in my what? Sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So here he is. He's this gospel of the kingdom preached all the world as a witness. And what happens? He has to go through suffering and he has to go through persecution because he's living a godly life. Now, Timothy is really big on this as well as is Peter, but let's look in Timothy just for a moment to see what we find there. 2 Timothy, and we have a several texts there that I want to point out to you. Because we're talking about suffering, we're talking about sin, we're talking about evangelism today. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the what? Uh, sufferings for the what? Gospel according to the power of God. So when you share the gospel, you're going to suffer, and it's going to actually demonstrate even more power as you're suffering for the gospel. All right, chapter 2, verse 3. Look at the next text. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So, hardship as a soldier. And then look at chapter 3 and verse 12. But evil men... Oh, that can't be right. 3.12? Oh, Yes. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will do what? They'll suffer persecution. So those songs were nice, you know, but there's persecution ahead. Not just from outside, but also inside. Second Peter is all about being persecuted from within. First Peter is all about being persecuted from without. But both will occur. That's the point. And then look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, brother, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when we will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of a what? An evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So if you're actually doing evangelism, we have an evangelist here today who preached for us this last week, an excellent sermon, by the way. Uh, have you ever suffered persecution? All right. Don't look at your wife when you say yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Yes, he says. Um, I think that meant that you were joined together in that persecution. But as you're preaching the gospel, as you're, as you're actually laying things out as they should be, you know, 
people sometimes get upset. Once I was preaching back in Kansas, and people got upset that we were having meetings, and I went outside, and there was all these people surrounding the church, and they were picketing the church. And they were all walking around the church. And the news was there. And, and we said, what are we going to do? I said, let's go right up next to them. So we went right up next to them. And we said, why are you here? And they told us, we don't believe that. You're in the wrong church. And they said, you don't? And they left. But there was, there was persecution. There was attention. Remember once I was in England uh, coming back, and I went down by Trafalgar Square, and this guy was talking about, he was evangelizing. He was doing street evangelism, RJ. He was coming up to people on the street, and he goes, uh, tell me, uh, you know, what's your belief? And then whatever people would say, you know, I'm a Muslim, he'd say, that's of the devil. And then he would he, he'd hand him a tract. And he came right up to me, and I said, he goes, I said, hi, I really, I'm very encouraged by what you're doing with your street evangelism. He says, what faith are you? I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He goes, it's of the devil. I said, it is? He goes, yes. And he had a tract. He gave it to me. Needless to say, this guy was not popular. I, I, he wasn't, he, he, everybody that said anything to him, it was of the devil. And pretty soon, he was, I mean, <laughs> these skinheads. He said to these skinheads, they are of the devil. Now, they didn't take kindly to that. And they surrounded him. And they said, yeah, we're going to, you know, do violence to him. And uh, I was like, well, you know, uh, this, is, this, this is not good. It's not going well for him. <laughs> and then a crowd started to come around. And at that particular time, all the hospital people in the country were on strike. And I was like, it's not good. He's going to get beat up. And the hospital people are on strike. I said, I'm a nurse. Maybe I could take care of him when he gets beat up. So I'm, I'm there. I'm there with him, and I go, you know, wouldn't that be great? But once he gets beat up, I'll come, and I'll put bandages on him, and then he'll know that I'm a Christian. So that was my strategy. That was my strategy, right? But then he goes up there, and he's up, and he's up there right in the middle, and he goes, who will stand for Christ with me? And I was like, this is the time when I should stand with him. I need to enter into his sufferings. Okay, and we're going to learn that in our text, that we are to enter into the sufferings of Christ. And he, of course, was part of Christ's body, right? So I felt convicted I should go up. And I was talking to this couple next to me, and I said, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go up there. And they go, you're going to go up there? He's going to get beat up. I said, would you like to come with me? They said, no. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going. So I started to walk up. Oh, man, I was like, I'm going to get beat up. I'm walking up there. And the police came right there. I was like, hallelujah! <laughs> and they took the skinheads away, and they took him away. And what, as he was saying, I was coming up, I said, I was coming to stand with you, and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. <laughs> and he just looked at me. Anyway, so, all who live godly lives will what? Suffer persecution. And why is that? Look at Acts chapter 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. This is Paul sharing his testimony. And he's explaining what happened to him and what he did. Acts chapter 26. And verse 18. Open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. He's talking about what he did. And from the power of what? Satan, Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by the faith. Turning them from the devil to God. So that, that actually person out witnessing, he was, he was right in saying, look, it's of the devil. You know, you need to be released from the power of Satan, from the devil. And this is why Christianity is offensive. If you're actually a Christian and you're actually witnessing, you're going to say things that offend people. Hello? That's going to happen. That's the whole point of it. Because people are lost. 
And they don't, particularly 1 John 5, 19, it says, they're under the sway of the evil one. And they're rocked to sleep. And they're going to die unless you wake them up. Well, when you wake somebody up, how many of you have ever decided to wake people up and they have not appreciated it? <laughs> or, like, you know, maybe they, they're sleeping and they have their window closed and you go open the window up. How many think they just love that? Oh, so happy to see you. No. This is, and this is the way it is, right? And uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places and also on earth. There are people that want to do the devil's will and they're taken captive to do his will. And they're dangerous. And they'll turn on you. And not just outside the church. It can happen inside the church too. So how should we then prepare for this suffering? That's the point of our passage today in, where were we? First Peter. First Peter, chapter 4. So let's go back to First Peter, chapter 4. And this is the whole idea of our passage today. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. In some translations it says, for the same purpose. So you're, you're, you're putting your mind towards something, and there's a purpose for that suffering. Therefore, therefore means there was a wherefore. And what was the wherefore? Through, you know, 1 Peter chapter 3, 2 and 3 was... Your conduct is to silence the Gentiles. And there were different categories. There were unjust masters. There were unconverted husbands. There were this, there was that, there was the other. How many remember in Peter? And your conduct is getting their attention. Arm yourselves with the same mind, the mind of Christ, and suffering. That's the point. Now, there's two types of suffering in 1 Peter. There is the suffering that comes uh, as a result of bad behavior. Well, what credit is it that you suffer for your faults, chapter 2, verse 19, for doing evil, chapter 3, verse 17, for being a murderer, chapter 4, verse 15, for being a thief, 415, an evildoer, 415, being a busybody in other people's matters. How many of you have ever suffered for any of these things? So there can be suffering for those kind of things. But then there's also suffering that comes as a result of good. So always when you're suffering, you've got to say, why am I suffering? Am I suffering because I did something bad? Well, then take it. All right, I deserve it. Am I suffering because I did something good? Because of my conscience toward God for doing good, chapter 2, verse 20. I'm suffering because I'm a Christian, chapter 4, verse 16. I'm suffering because I'm steadfast in the faith, 5 verse 9. And you can suffer for that reason too. Just like that man who was out witnessing was suffering as a result of his witnessing. <laughs> yeah. It is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Can you say amen? So if you're going to suffer... And you want it to be really meaningful and not even more stress-producing. Make sure it's for good. In fact, you're supposed to rejoice when you suffer for doing good. I did the right thing and now I'm suffering. Hallelujah! That's the point um, of First Peter. Now why? Why? Or as they say in Romanian, dece. By the way, if you just learn that word, you can go to any country and keep a conversation going. You just go, Dece, and the people will start talking. I know, because I went there and I was trying to learn Romanian. I went through a whole village and I just was going, Dece, and people would talk. I didn't even know what they were saying. <laughs> but why? Why is this? And this is, why is it that we suffer? Well, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
Now, one reason that we need to go through suffering, either if we do bad or even if we do good, is so that we can cease from sin. How many of you are interested in ceasing from sin? And suffering is directly tied to that and to evangelism. Secondly, why? That you might perfect or establish, that you might be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. How many of you know somebody that needs a little more perfection? A little more settling, a little more strengthening, a little more establishing. How many of you are rejoicing in your suffering yet? Well, maybe you need a little more work. Right? And this is the whole purpose of suffering. Why? So you can cease from sin. Why? So that you can be perfected. (laughs) Man, you were hoping for a great sermon today, right? You don't like this. Oh, man, he's saying I'm going to go through suffering and I need to appreciate it. You mean my sister-in-law is going to come and irritate me for weeks? Yes. You mean my relatives are going to stay longer than the holidays? Yes. You mean that man I married, I still have to stay with him? Yes. (laughs) Everyone's quiet now. I don't know what happened. But (laughs) this is the purpose. So here are some principles that guide us. Let's look at some principles here that guide us. Number one, recognize that Christ and Christians are called to suffer. You should already know that. We're called to suffering. Number two, suffering is linked to victory over sin. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. NASB says purpose. Uh, Amplified version says, being willing to suffer for doing what is right and pleasing God. Arm yourself with the same mind. Okay, I'm going to be suffering if I do what's right. The suffering is going to come from within the church and outside the church, inside my family and outside my family. Suffering. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I don't know if I should be smiling, but how many think it's so terrible that you need to smile? <laughs> and then it says this, have the same mind of Christ. Why? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. How many of you want to cease from sin? That doesn't mean you never sin because it says ceased from sin. You're not sinless. <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, you are not sinless. Some of you know for sure that that's true. (laughs) You are not sinless. But it says that you have the opportunity to do what? What does the Bible say? Cease from sin. Now, there's theologies inside the church and outside the church that say you can't cease from sin. Have you ever heard these? (laughs) There's victory in Jesus sometime when we get to heaven. They, 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 there's people, anyway. But this is saying you can cease from sin. Wow. Now there's a choice between two things, suffering or sin. Okay? You're probably going to keep sinning if there's no suffering. Hello? You're probably going to keep sinning if there's no suffering. Right? So if you're sinning, maybe not so much suffering. Well, there's going to be suffering, but, you know, for a time. This is the whole idea. And it's saying, he that has suffered has ceased from sin, suffered in the flesh. Then comes the big question. Now, it's, it's amazing to me that Seventh-day Adventists, or Christians even, they still debate what sin is. How many of you heard people debating what sin is? Whole books. What is sin? And they want to instruct you. Well, sin is this. And usually they come up with a description that makes it pretty easy to keep sinning. (laughs) I've noticed this. Hello? Mm -hmm. That makes it easy. Well, is it it's my nature. It's just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. I was born I was born that way. (laughs) I'm a sinner. Hi, I'm a sinner. Or they might name the sin. I'm a burglar. 
That's just what I do. Uh, I identify as a burglar. That's my identity. I used to not be a burglar, but I changed into one. I'm a burglar. So that's my nature. Or, or as other people say, it's my actions. Uh, some people say, well, really the issue is not sin at all. It's, it's relationship. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, no sin. That won't occur. I've had a relationship with Jesus for like 60 years. And I'm telling you, I still have to fight against sin. I don't know about it in the rest of you. Hello? Okay, so uh, what is it? Well, it's interesting. The reason I bring this up, because it's right in the text, I wouldn't just bring up something. Let's see. Look at chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, and it actually gives us some ideas about what sin is, since there seems to be some confusion. That he should no longer live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For I have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So, this gives us, does this give us an idea what sin is? It says you're ceasing from sin, and then it goes through these verses, and it spells it out. The lust of men. Literally, lust means longing for what is forbidden. It's actually related to the idea of coveting. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So coveting, this is sin. The will of the Gentiles instead of the will of God. What's the will of God? The law of God. It's now saying sin is related to the law of God. Both definitions are related to what? One is related to coveting, which is one of the Ten Commandments, and this is now explicitly saying the will of God. Lewdness, which is licentiousness, lacking legal or moral restraint, especially sexual restraints. Do we live in a time period where there's a lot of sin going on? And are people glorying in that? Oh, it's just the way I am. It's my nature. I, I was born that way. Well, everybody's born that way. But the text is saying you can cease from sin. Drunkenness, excessive wine, revelries, that was an interesting word. Comos, reveling or rioting. The root of that word is to lie down outstretched, literally or figuratively. I guess it means that if you're lustful, you're doing the will of the Gentiles and you get drunk, pretty soon you're laid out. <laughs> and you're laying down and you're doing stuff that you wouldn't do standing up. Drinking parties. And then it ends with this phrase, abominable idolatries. Abominable athmetos means illegal or unlawful. So let's just look at this list. If we had to look at this list, what is the common element in the list? What is sin according to this list by Peter? I have failed. I am suffering persecution right now from not teaching you well. What is this? Who said that? Who said breaking God's law? Oh. Yes. It would be my wife. Breaking God's law. Yes. Exactly. This is a great definition. In fact, sin is... Defined in another place, whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. Wait a minute, isn't it just my nature? Isn't it just not me being in a relationship with somebody? No, 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 no. It's the transgression of the law. Now, the reason I mention this is because I've read some books, even within Sadventist circles, or should I say Badventist circles, they're not really Adventist circles, but they're in the circle of Adventism. And let me just read to you about this, okay? If a person defines sin primarily in terms of transgression of the law, in legalistic terms and understandings, then he's going to need a Savior who is just like us, says this particular author. A Savior who has struggled with all his same temptations to transgress the law. 
kind of like we heard about in our children's story. Now, if you go back to define sins in terms of a relationship, which is what this guy's recommending, sin in terms of living a life apart from God, you don't need to have a Savior exactly like you. Okay. This is not biblical. This is a heresy. If you hear this, say heresy. Let's, let's just practice the word together. Heresy. Okay, heresy. <laughs> you can smile when you say it. heresy. <laughs> because sin is the transgression of the law. It is not some mamby pamby. Oh, I'm just not in relationship. Now, it could be related to that. But, well, let me look. You'll understand. Sin is the transgression of the law. This is the only definition of sin. Somebody is saying this who's not whitewashing things, or is actually whitewashing things. This is Ellen White. And she said this like 40 times. I read a bunch of them this morning. Like. Again and again and again and again. Sin is what? Okay, look at the person next to you and say, Sin is the transgression of the law. If you're saying something else, that's a, what was that word? Okay. Okay, now that we can move on. Just as soon as we separate ourselves from God by sin, which is the transgression of his law, Satan takes control of our what? So arm yourself, says Peter, with the what? Mind of Christ. And... Get ready for suffering so that you can cease from what? Breaking God's law. Wow. For not the hearers of the law are justified, righteous, dikaisune. It's not the hearers of the law who are just before, but the doers of the law shall be what? Wait, you say, wait, 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 wait. I thought you got justified first, and then you did the law. Oh, have you heard this? Yeah, you just get justified. You don't really have to do anything about that. You're just justified. Have you ever heard this? Is that what this is saying? I'm not saying that. That's another, what was that word again? Heresy. Are you with me? But while God can be just, and yet justify the sinner through the merits of Christ, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness. That's justification, by the way. While practicing known sins or neglecting known duties. Hello? So, uh, I hate to put a little crinkle in your crinkle, if you were thinking something differently. God requires the what? Entire surrender of the heart before, what, what does the word before mean? Be, prior to justification, be pri, before justification can take place. And in order for men to retain justification, there must be what? Continual obedience through active what? <clears throat> Living faith that works by love and purifies the soul. This is justification by faith, okay? James uh, 4, 7 through 9. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Does that sound like you're passively just sitting there? How many think that sounds passive? Is submitting, by the way, passive? Have you found that submitting is just very simple to do? <laughs> How many of you have ever just found that that is the simplest thing ever? Hello? By the way, does God submit or do you? 
Does God submit or do you? You do. Does God resist or do you? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Does that sound active or passive? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and warn and weep. This is suffering, right? Lament, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will what? And that tells you how to humble yourself. That's the point. I mean, this is related to what Peter is saying. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of sin, flesh, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Fight the fight of what? Faith. Now, I have actually read several books recently on this idea of righteousness by faith that actually say the fight of faith is the difference than the fight of sin. This is not a biblical understanding. It's a what? Heresy. We're learning a new word today. It's a heresy. Let me show you why. The Christian life is a warfare. The Apostle Paul speaks of wrestling against principalities and powers as he fought the good fight of what? So you're wrestling against principalities and powers. Wrestling. Does wrestling sound passive? Well, I just need to be in a relationship with the person I'm wrestling with. No, 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 no. You're wrestling against the devil, and you don't sit there passively. You submit, you resist, right? We must come. We must resist the devil. We must strive to enter the straight gate. That's a quotation from Christ. We must run the race with patience. That's a quotation from Paul. We must fight the fight of faith. That's another quotation from Timothy. We must wrestle against principalities and powers. That's Ephesians 6. We must agonize before God in prayer. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) We would stand blameless before the throne. Stand what? Another, if we would cease from. We must have the faith that works. That's living faith. Or it will be powerless. Now, you may have heard something different than I'm preaching today but maybe this will help you. Let no one present the idea that man has little or nothing to do in the great work of coming. Let who? Oh, but it's a great preacher. It's a great teacher. They tell such good stories. I love their stories. (laughs) The stories are so great. (laughs) Have you ever been told a fairy tale? Let no one present the idea that man has little or nothing to do in the great work of overcoming, for God does nothing for man without his what? And he believes in free will, right? Neither say that after you have done all you can on your part, Jesus will help you. Christ has said, without me, you can do what? From first to last, man is to be a laborer together with God. Unless the Holy Spirit works upon the human heart at every step, we will stumble and fall. Man's efforts alone are nothing but worthlessness. But cooperation with Christ means what? Victory in Jesus. How many want to have victory in Jesus this year like we heard about on the special music? This is the point. The break with sin. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also in my absence, work out your own Salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do is good pleasure. So you have this co-partnership. How many can see that? 
It's a co-partnership. That's the point. Live, don't live the rest of your time in the, don't live, in, so to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the what? Will of God. This is ceasing from sin and having victory in Jesus. The elder brother of our race is by the eternal throne. This is hopeful. He looks upon every soul who is turning his face toward him as a savior. He knows by experience, because he suffered in the flesh himself, right? He knows by experience what are the weaknesses of humanity, what are our wants, and where lies the strength of our temptations. For he was in what? Hebrews 4.15, all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He is watching over you, trembling child of God. Are you tempted? He will deliver. Are you weak? He will strengthen. Are you ignorant? He will enlighten. Are you wounded? He will heal. Come unto me is his invitation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, by the way, what, what's that blue section up there? Did, I, did the ink? This was actually a, quoted in a book that took that part out. Therefore, making it a heretical statement instead of a true statement. You, you know, when you're reading books, I want to give you a recommendation. Read the whole quote. If there's a little ellipsis, read the quote yourself. Because you can make... Mm, how many of you have noticed that there are some people you know that can make food bad? They leave out some ingredients. <laughs> I remember once uh, my sister was making sugar cookies, and she put in, uh, instead of just teaspoons, she put in tablespoons of baking soda. They looked wonderful. They looked spectacular. When we bit into them, <laughs> there was death in the stew. And if you don't look at the whole thing and look at the ingredients, how many think there's, there's a devil that tries to get into theology? Might sound good, looks good, <laughs> but that dog don't hunt. It, it, it doesn't work. Principles that guide us. Recognize that Christ and Christians are called to suffering. Number two, suffering is linked to victory over sin. And then suffer as you move forward. He that, he that no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. How many of you have had enough of sin? I mean, you know, I, just a little more. I just loved it so much, I'm going back for a little more. And P Peter's saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 we've spent enough time doing that. I've wasted many precious years. Lord, I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord. Now I'm coming home. I, I'll trust thy love. Believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home, coming home. Never more roam. How many want that to be your song? That's the whole idea. I, I, I'm moving on. Yeah, I'm struggling, I'm suffering still, but I'm moving on. I'm moving from the bad kind of suffering to the good type of suffering. <laughs> I'm still going to suffer, but I'm suffering now a good kind of suffering, not a bad kind. So recognize Christ and Christians are called to suffer. suffer. Suffering is linked to victory over sin. Suffer as you move forward. Number four, when criticized or attempted, remember you're living in the judgment hour. Look at this. In regard to these, this is 1 Peter 4, 4. They think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Why aren't they doing that? Why about the lust of the flesh and all the things we used to do together? Just remember this. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Two groups living in the dead. Now that translation that Pharaoh was reading this morning, I don't know. I don't think he understood the theology of death or anything uh, that specifically. It was kind of... This, this, I think, is a better translation. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the what? 
The living and the dead. Now, the people all around you are living and dead. Did you know there's some dead people here today? And there's live people here today, too. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth. To every kindred, tribe, nation, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory, for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of living water. Um, so, this idea of judgment. Fear God. Live. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction, and he won't be visited with evil. To fear God is to live away from evil. Give him glory. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then you're living in the springs of living water, not in a flood of dissipation. How many want to live in the springs of living water? Not a flood of dissipation. And finally, our last principle as we're closing today. Recognize that Christ and Christians are called to suffering. Number three, suffering is linked to victory over sin. Number three, suffer as you move forward. Number four, when criticized or attempted, remember you're living in judgment hour. And number five, focus your life on sharing the gospel. That's what it says. Read the text. For this reason, for what reason? All the reasons that we've just mentioned, because of the sufferings, because of sin, because of salvation, all those reasons, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the Spirit. In other words, they're dead, even though they speak, they're dead in what? Trespasses and sins. And what are you supposed to do to them? Preach in a way that wakes them up. Not lulls them to sleep. Preach in a way that wakes them up. How many have someone preach in a way that wakes you up? Anybody? Oh, man, you should all be raising your hand because I'm preaching. <laughs> Maybe not, but preach in a way that wakes people up. And that can be not just from up front, but somebody right next to you. I remember I sat next to a college student when I was in college, and she, she just watched me for a few days. She says, you are not converted. That's what she told me. I said, well, thank you. I was kind of offended, right? But I knew, kind of knew she was right. She goes, you know what? I have a heart condition, and I have a surgery coming up. I may not make it through my surgery. I'm, I'm surprised I'm still alive. Her name was Tanise. And she goes, every day, it was a gift to me to be alive. And I realize I might die even in my surgery. But you don't seem to understand that you might die, and you're doing all these things. Oh, man, I thought... That, that's a little intense. I mean, I just was joking around. She goes, uh, you're not taking life seriously. I went back to my room. And you can tell it had an impact on me. How many can tell it had an impact on me? Because I'm still talking about it. So you can preach, even if you're not the preacher. And you should preach. You'll get suffering out of it. People will be offended at you. But how many you think sometimes people need to be offended and they need to suffer because they're going to hell. How many think that might be true? I was. I appreciated that. I still appreciate the fact. Can parents lull their, ki lull their kids into sleep? Can classmates put their classmates to sleep? And what it's saying here is says, for this reason, preach. Why? Preach because you need to suffer. <laughs> and preach because other people need to suffer. Because as you suffer in the good way, you'll cease from? That's the point. Preach. Raise the dead. They're dead in trespasses and sins. Raise the dead. How many want to raise the dead this next year? And raising the dead is going to come with doing what? Preaching. Caruso. A loud voice, preach, raise the dead, and live what? A life 
according to God in the Spirit. And by the way, it says that, that Christ was victorious in the flesh through the Spirit. He came and gave an example. And as we enter into life with him, he does that in and through us as we continue to submit and resist and all those different things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what are the principles that guide us? Recognize that Christ and Christians are called to suffering. Suffering is linked to victory over sin. Suffer as you move forward. And when criticized or tempted, remember you're living in the judgment hour. And finally, focus this next year on sharing God's spell, the gospel, getting people out of the devil's spell, following God. Will you have suffering? You're going to have suffering this, year, this next year regardless. It's going to be suffering for the wrong or it's going to be suffering for the right. How many want to be suffering for the right? Since you're going to be suffering, might as well suffer for the suffer for the gospel. That's the point. Now, I put down a, a hymn that I think is just too, too intense. Because I think that actually there's joy in suffering for Jesus. How many think that, that there should be joy in it? And, you know, it says, you know, if we're actually uh, being persecuted, we should rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So I want to sing number 470 instead of what we picked. There is sunshine in my soul today. 470. And uh, as we're burning for Jesus, <laughs> we're singing. I've been reading up on the English Reformation because we're taking an English Reformation tour. And these martyrs, when they went to martyrdom, many times they'd be singing as they literally burned for Jesus. How many want to have that kind of attitude this next year? Let's stand together as we sing. There is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than glows on any earthly sky, for Jesus is my life. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.